Sarah Price, an American woman, receives a phone call from the Japanese police telling her that they think her troubled twin sister Jess is dead, as she was seen going into the Okagahara Forest, a forest at the northwest base of Mount Fuji in Japan, known as a popular destination for the suicidal. Despite the concerns of her fiancé, Rob, she journeys to Japan and arrives at the hotel where her sister was staying. Sarah begins the search for her lost sister, because it's just a forest, right? Why, hello. I didn't see you there. You interrupted me working. Let me just put all these bloody tools away. And welcome to Law and Horror, a podcast where we dissect horror movies and the real lore behind them. I'm your host, Julie. In a horror movie, I would die investigating the strange sound. And I'm your other host, Jeanette. I would survive a horror movie by hiding until I'm forgotten. So you want to hear about the weird thing that happened to me this morning? Uh, yes. So I get in my car, and I'm driving to work, and I immediately turn on the radio... And right when I turn it on, it goes, oh, hey, Anchorage. I'm sure you guys have heard the urban legend. And I'm like, what? No, (gasps) I'm so ready for this. Tell me. Tell me more. And it's like, if you Mm -hmm. flash your headlights three times on May, and I'm like, what? What happens? (laughs) And then they go, a ghost dog. I'm like, all right, weird, but still here for it. Uh (laughs) And then they go, we'll be seen pushing a shopping cart. I'm like, "Mm, no. What? What? And it was a Geico commercial. Oh, my God. Oh, I would have fallen hook, line, and sinker for that. I was, I was so mad. I'm going to totally divert us from, from horror for a second. When I was watching the Super Bowl and they had the Tom Brady commercial um, that he did for Hulu and everyone thought he was going to be announcing his retirement, I was like, everyone, shut up. Shh. And then I, like, sit there. I, like, lean forward in my chair. And then he's like, check out hulu and i was like you have got to be fucking kidding me like i <laughs> fell so hard <laughs> so i know exactly how you feel <laughs> yeah yeah it was a bummer yeah. i thought i because i love i fucking love urban legends maybe more oh, than I've... horror movies maybe more than ghost stories i love urban legends i cannot wait we're gonna have to have a whole urban legend month or something on our podcast it's it's gonna have to be a four-part episode (laughs) (laughs) yeah oh man i didn't have anything cool happen today for me i'm not going to work because of the lovely quarantine that's going on here so i was working from home um but one thing that is kind of cool is after we recorded the shining and then you were telling me all of the uh the, the differences with the story versus the film and so I actually I bought the book and and I'm reading that now well that's exciting uh, how far into the book are you I'm on page 64 because I just mm. entered that into my goodreads account so not very far but I am really enjoying it a lot yeah it's it's really well written it's good shit yeah and I, this is gonna be the the second Stephen King book I've read the first one was it I started Pet Cemetery, but I didn't finish it. I'm going to go back and read it. And you can you can tell there's just a caliber of writing and a familiarity when you come back to a story of his. You know, Pet Cemetery I read it when I was very, very young. I think it was the first of Stephen King I ever you read. Did. 
<laughs> yep. And you were probably six. <laughs> yeah, I was. I was six. It was the first chapter book I ever read. <laughs> um, I just remember the scene. Well, now I'm hesitant to say it if you haven't finished it. No, no, I've seen the movie. Oh, that's true. Well, in the in the remake, the daughter gets hit by a big semi truck, mm-hmm. but in the original story, the toddler gets run over. And the father's, mm-hmm. like, chasing the semi-truck after it ran over his kid, and he's, like, picking up his child's body parts. Oh, no. And I was... See, I'm okay with heads up about that. Mm-hmm. Child yeah. Julie was shook. <laughs> like, I think yeah. it's one of my earliest really vivid book memories. <laughs> Dang. I was, I was straight shook. Here. <laughs> <laughs> and that leads us into... Nettie, why don't you introduce the horror movie that we're discussing today? Okay, so we are going to do the 2016 film The Forest. The writers were Nick and Tosca, Sarah Cornwell, and Ben Kete. I'm probably butchering some names. Directed by Jason Zeta and starring the gorgeous, the flawless Natalie Dormer. Love her. Yeah, and so Julie had this brilliant idea because I insist on on retelling at least a more detailed synopsis of the film because not everybody watches it uh, as recently as we do. But we're gonna go ahead and say you can safely skip probably what do we say two two skips? Yeah, like do hit that thirty second button a couple times and you can skip ahead if you don't care to listen to the summary. Exactly. If you already know it and you remember it, this part isn't for you. We won't be offended. I mean, but you can also say if you just love the sound of Nettie's voice. That too. That's that fair. would make me feel so, so good. Because <laughs> I, I was feeling a little low about it today. Oh. <laughs> as, as we talked about. <laughs> okay. Sarah Price, an American woman, receives a phone call from the Japanese police telling her that they think her troubled twin sister, Jess, is dead. As she was last seen going into the Okagahara forest. Despite the concerns of her husband, Rob, she journeys to Japan and arrives at the hotel where her sister was staying. At the hotel, Sarah meets a reporter named Aiden. He invites her to go into the forest with him and a park guide, Michi, so she can look for her sister. As the three enter the forest, the group discovers a yellow tent that Sarah recognizes as belonging to Jess. When nightfall approaches, Michi suggests they leave a note for Jess and leave. Sarah refuses, and Aiden volunteers to stay with her through the night. That night, Sarah encounters a Japanese girl named Hashiko, who claims to know Jess. The girl warns Sarah not to trust Aiden and flees at the sound of his voice. The next day, Aiden and Sarah become lost and begin to walk around the forest. As they walk, Sarah's suspicions are raised, and she demands Aiden give her his phone, where she finds a picture of Jess on it. Aiden denies any involvement with Jess, but Sarah runs into the forest alone. Aiden eventually finds her and helps her out of the cave. Aiden takes Sarah to an old ranger station he claims he discovered while looking for her. Sarah hears her sister's voice coming from a locked basement and finds a note which implies that Aiden is holding Jess captive there. Convinced that he is a threat, Sarah attacks and kills Aiden with a small kitchen knife. In the basement of the ranger station, Sarah sees a vision of the night her parents died. The ghost of her father suddenly appears and lunges towards her, grabbing her wrist. She cuts his fingers away from her wrist and escapes the station. Running into the forest, she sees Jess running toward the lights of the search party. Sarah calls to her sister, who is unable to hear her. She realizes that her escape from the ranger station was another hallucination. 
When she was cutting her father's fingers, she actually cut deep into her own wrists and is now dying from blood loss in the basement. As she succumbs to her wounds, the hands of a group of Uri pull Sarah beneath the forest floor. Jess, very much alive, is rescued by the search party and explains that the feeling of her sister is gone, and it is assumed that Jess knows Sarah is dead. As the search party leaves, Michi suddenly sees a dark figure at the edge of the forest and realizes it's Sarah who has been turned into a Yuri. Okay, so Nettie, how many Yuri do you give this movie? Oh, I love that! I gave it a 2.5 out of 5. Apparently, I love my .5s. Um, <laughs> you like splitting was... that baby. Yes, I do. <laughs> Everyone's happy. <laughs> Can you tell I'm a divorce lawyer? <laughs> <laughs> I was torn between giving it a 2 out of 5 for just how horror movies go in general. I think it's safe to say this film wasn't well-received. Um, there's a lot of things you can choose to pick apart in it, but I also wanted to give it a three for just how much I weirdly enjoy watching it. I thought the setting was horror movie gold. I didn't believe they capitalized on that enough, um, and I really like Natalie Dormer's character and the sexy mysteriousness that surrounds Aiden. He's just a little tasty treat. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now Julie, tell me how many Yuri you gave the forest. Okay, I love what you just said, and you're going to understand why in a minute. Um, I gave The Forest three out of five, Yuri, because I feel like the acting was really good and the cinematography was pretty good. Um, it just, it wasn't a great movie. Like, it's not a masterpiece by any by any stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm. But I think it was okay. But when it comes to my personal enjoyment, it's like a five out of five, Yuri. Yes! <laughs> I, yes! I think this movie is so fun. I have so much fun watching this movie. I totally agree with you, and I'm so happy you feel that way. And I also find myself forgetting every single time whether Aiden is good or bad. Yes! I had the same moment. I'm like, I have seen this movie at least twice before. <laughs> yeah. Why am I sitting here like, oh, Aiden, what are you doing? What's happening? Yeah. I'm like, bitch, check his phone. He knows your sister. <laughs> Though to be fair, we still don't know if he's good or bad at the end of the movie. Ooh, touche. I really want to explore this. Yes. Yeah, like we don't like we know that she ended up killing him and we're it's kind of assumed that he wasn't bad that the forest was making her crazy, but we don't really know that for well, we know the forest was making her crazy, but we don't mm-hmm. know for sure that he was a good guy. Exactly. I want to start off with the very beginning of the movie. It starts off and we you don't realize it yet, but you're watching Jess run out of the forest because Natalie Dormer is wearing um, a light gray sweatshirt as she's running running through the forest. Um, and then it isn't until the end that we finally circle back up with that scene and realize who it is that's running. So do you have any thoughts on a movie that starts with a shot from towards the end of the film and then catches up? This film, I did not mind that. And actually, yeah. I didn't catch it until <laughs> you just said that. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you. I'll tell you why it jumped out to me as something I wanted to talk about, which is oh my god, so embarrassing. So this weekend, I had to go see Sonic the Hedgehog in theaters. Great with <laughs> with some family members, and it and I was I was dreading it i kept telling aaron like i hate you why do we have to go see this well obviously we want to spend time with our family so that's why and there was some young ones there i don't and (laughs) and 
as soon as the movie started, you could tell it was one of those shots from the end. And then it immediately does a voiceover of, oh, hey, you wonder how we got here? Well, let me tell you. And I turned to him and I was like, you have got to be fucking kidding me. (laughs) And then we put on the forest where I'm like, this is gold. You're going to love it. I love it. And then it started with the same thing I had just bitched about in Sonic the Hedgehog. So <laughs> I'm a total hypocrite. I like it in this one as well, but I hated it in the other one. <laughs> well, and it's it has to be done a certain way. And I feel like it went OK in this one because it was so distant. Mm-hmm. I mean, just to compare, I, I, for some reason, this is making me think of quarantine and how the very last scene in quarantine was in all the trailers. Mm-hmm. And I didn't like that. That was ridiculous. You don't watch trailers, right? I don't. But I have seen, you know, sometimes you see them just because you're at the movie theater and they're playing them. Yeah, but I'm coming around to your side. Initially, I wanted to always see a trailer so I'd have context. And then you're right. I find myself noticing certain things. And then once I'm in the movie, I'm like, we haven't seen that part from the trailer yet. So that's still coming or... So what part of the film did you find the most creepy? I have so many answers to this question. Oh, I'm so glad because I know I wrote down a bunch and then now I can't think of them. They'll probably come to me as you answer. But I did I did note that there were a couple times where Aaron just out of the blue was like, well, that's creepy as shit. <laughs> and it was very enjoyable. I think the creepiest moment for me is when she's in that hole in the ground that she fell through uh-huh. Uh-huh. and she picks up God, what the fuck is that thing called? Oh, I looked it up. It is a Viewmaster. She picks up the Viewmaster and is just cycling through the pictures. Mm-hmm. It's so <gasps> fucking stupid what ends up happening while she's cycling <laughs> through the pictures of the Viewmaster. Like, this Yuri just, like, jumps out at her and, like, startles uh-huh. her. And it's such a lame jump scare. But my anxiety during that <laughs> scene, because you know something's going to happen and she's just slowly cycling through the pictures. I'm like, stop it. You stupid bitch. Stop it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there's that. And the other the other scene I find really creepy that's probably one of my favorite scenes in the movie is mm-hmm. when she's walking through the forest and she has the ball of twine. Uh-huh. And she's kind of slowly letting it go. And you keep seeing, like, figures standing behind her, like, off to the side just in the mm-hmm. distance. And they're going, turn around, Sarah. Turn around, yes. Sarah. I find that so unsettling. Yes, I totally agree. That one. Whew. And then she's like talking to herself because I, I really related in that scene because I would do the same thing. I would talk out loud and be like, you're not real. You're not real. Tra la 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 la. And then it's right behind her. Sure. Yeah. And what are your thoughts? So speaking of the things where Sarah is hearing things that aren't there, seeing things that aren't there. I don't know the correct movie term for it, but what are your thoughts on tricking the audience having a false narration i don't know i don't know how to how to define that but basically you have a character who you can't tell the difference between reality and what the forest is is trying to do to her so that's usually called an untrustworthy narrator ah thank you or an unreliable narrator Mm -hmm. um and i don't i don't actually mind unreliable narrators I would argue that's actually that's not what was happening in this movie because the Yuri were there and they mm. were real. So mm. Sarah wasn't unreliable. The things happening around her though were just confusing everything. Yeah. 
but I don't I don't mind that kind of story arc. Do you mind it? I don't think so. Um, I'm remembering. I keep. I feel bad. We have so many trains of thought coming from my end on this podcast today. But when we talked about the girl on the train and how that one was very difficult for me as an untrustworthy uh, narrator, because you know the in that in that one the character has blackouts and she's a drunk and and you just you have such a lack of information i think that's when it annoys me in this one you're receiving the same information as sarah so i think i really i i liked it the way it was done here as well okay that's a really interesting point you're receiving all the same information so you're not frustrated with the narrator like you might be frustrated with the things that she's doing but you're mm-hmm. not annoyed because you're not like, why don't you figure this out? Go here. Go do that. You have the information that you kind of want to get. Yeah. It's just coming to you in a kind of distorted way. Yeah. And then what would you do? And it's 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 tricky. I don't know. There's several scenarios where I wonder, would my reaction have been that much different from Sarah's? I don't know. Okay. So you gave the film two stars. 2.5. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) What would have made it like a four? Okay. I think for me, it, where I struggled the most, because this is, I think I'm with you with this is probably my third or fourth time watching the film was consistency, consistency in both the hauntings and the general pacing of the ghost, the monster, however you want to, you know, whether it's the forest or the Yuri. So when Natalie Dormer's, when Sarah is checking into the second hotel and she's walking down the flickering green hallway and then the old lady is, you know, she gets confused walking back to her room. Yeah, that poor old lady. That was creepy, but so out of place and jarring. I didn't Mm -hmm. understand what it was besides just like a spooky corridor that we're going to throw in this intersect here. And same with Hashiko initially when you first meet her. Oh my gosh, everything about her is terrifying. The slow moving, um, the 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 creepy little half smile and woo. Um, and she moves kind of slowly and then kind of turns into a demon. And then you have the father at the end, the Yuri, who's appearing to Sarah and grabbing her wrist and he suddenly starts to move and convulse and tort contort almost like a zombie. And it's, you know, to me, it's, you have this amazingly rich premise of the suicide forest and this concept of the Yuri, which for most people is not something they're going to be immediately familiar with. Sure. And they still ended up relying on. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but they still ended up relying on, to me, like, the jump scares, the scenes that didn't really make much sense. We just wanted to have the flickering light to build tension, um, which is unfortunate. I wish they'd been a little bit more original with with that. I completely uh. agree. The jump scares are probably the number one, like, point reducer for me. They had mm-hmm. all those cheesy moments. Like, even when she's going through the – did you say it was called a Viewmaster? Yes. Even when she's going through the Viewmaster and that creepy face just pops up – that scene where she picks up the Viewmaster and is going through this horrifically traumatic thing that happened to her as a child, mm-hmm. that scene is sufficient and atmospheric enough on its own. You didn't mm-hmm. need that horrific jump scare. Yeah. 
Unless, I know you do love jump scares when I fall for them. Then you think they're hilarious. Oh, oh yeah, that's, I'm a big fan of jump scares when I'm watching with you and then you freak out. Oh, makes me so happy. Freaking Paranormal Activity 4 or whatever it was that yeah, the, you were the like, worst this one, The most garbage yep. of all the garbage ones. And I screamed like a girl and you were like, all right, this movie's okay for me now. <laughs> I was I was literally saying, I hate this movie, I hate this movie, and then you screamed like a little baby, and I'm like, I love this movie. It, it got me so hard. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so I, I give mad props when, when that gets me. Yeah, even at the beginning oh. of The Forest, she's, like, riding in the taxi cab, and this old man just yes, jumps out I her forgot. window and scares her for no reason. No reason at all. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree. It's, it's it's There's a lot of different moods that are happening where are we meant, you know, it's raining and it's dark and she's really somber and we're trying to figure out what her deal is. And yeah, they try to throw in these these creepy things that arguably make you unsettled, but not in the way I think the director intended. You're getting credit for discomfort in a way of like, I'm not quite following what's going on. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's cheaply bought discomfort Ooh, is what it is. I like that. Yep. It's not like even a lot. He had a phenomenal cast. He had a great setting. He had a lore and legend that a lot of American directors have not been able to play on, especially not on a horror premise. Like there have been other stories about the suicide forest, but they've always mm. been like weepy dramas. Mm. And I'm not I'm not discounting mental illness and I'm not discounting suicide and how tragic no, not it at is. All. Not at all. And I'm gonna talk about that when I get into the real life story. Mm. But this was really the only movie that I know of in America that is based in the suicide forest. Yeah. So he already had this really unique premise. He didn't need to rely on all these jump scares. If he had just focused on writing a really good movie, instead of focusing on the jump scares, it would have been a better film. Yes, that's a really great point. We could have moved this to, I mean, arguably, we could have moved this to another setting and had a very similar story. He didn't that's capitalize. That's a really good point. Well, oh, but, I got it uh, from you. <laughs> then we wouldn't have had the thing that he cap- that he did capitalize on, which was that Japan is the other, mm. and it's this weird culture and it's scary and yeah. yeah. I actually I want to read a quote. This is a good time. I want to read a quote that just really captures some of the um, whitewashing of the film. So I have a big problem with this film, and that big problem is that. You took a Japanese story and a Jap- like some Japanese legends and a Japanese setting and you smacked this white actress in the middle of it and then mm-hmm. you made the male lead also a white dude mm-hmm. and you made all the Japanese characters either antagonistic or they only are there. They're harbingers. They're there to just creep people yes. out. Like it's, it's a little bothersome. Um, so I want to read this quote. This is actually a quote from BuzzFeed News. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an article for, by a guy, Michael Darer, mm-hmm. and he wrote, The forest, meanwhile, heightens the superstition surrounding Okegahara, turning the woods into an exotic haunted house, morphing the realities of mental illness and suicide into a Blair Witch surrogate. From the beginning of the picture, Japan is portrayed as alien and sinister, with strange foods, odd belief systems, and off-putting locals one of whom goes so far as to fling himself at the window of Dormer's taxi simply for the chance to scare her. Okegahara is a place from which Dormer must rescue her fellow white person, 
not because the forest represents the struggles of depression or anxiety, but because it represents a sort of non-Western madness, a malevolent web of superstition and evil long since extinguished in the American mind. When Dormer tries to tell whether a body she finds is that of her sister, she gazes on a corpse that is twisted, soggy, and rotted, as though it had just come from the set of Pirates of the Caribbean. The personhood of the victim is reduced to something grotesque. Tragedy repackages monstrosity. Whoa. Yeah, I thought that was very well written and very powerful. So I just wanted to acknowledge, like, as much as as much fun as I think this movie is, there's definitely not even just whitewashing, but some Americanization going on in this movie. We had mm-hmm. a we had another the the white guy, Aiden. Mm-hmm. was a writer for an Australian newspaper and he was an American too which was fucking weird yes yes so I don't know we we took this Japanese setting and we just stuck two white people in it yeah like, well hmm. yeah no I, I, I think that was very very well pointed out and I wish and I wish this a lot of times in horror as well, because we'll, we'll get to movies where I think they do capture this concept. I wish, in general, movie producers, directors, writers thought their audience was smarter. Yeah. You know, like, you don't need to dumb it down. We can handle it, and we want to be able to handle it. Absolutely. Yeah. I was really, I really like that you brought that up. So one thing that I was wondering before we get towards the ending and and, because that's one of my favorite parts. So I wanted to ask you this because one of the benefits of this podcast is we are both lawyers. And for you in particular, if Sarah had made it out of the forest alive and presumably police are able to investigate, we discover Aiden's body, things like that. What, if anything, would you have charged her with? Oh, that's a really interesting question. Basically, the big thing there would have been proving or disproving self-defense. Mm. Because assuming she gets out of the forest, she's going to she's gonna say that he attacked her and that mm-hmm. she was fighting for her life. Unless she's so racked with guilt when she gets out that she just confesses and she's like, I was wrong. I thought he was going to attack me, but I was wrong. And even then, you would still need to disprove self-defense. And self-defense is a reasonable person standard. So Uh it's going to come down to would a reasonable person in that situation have been so scared of him that they would have used lethal force. And there are a lot of requirements, too, for deadly force. You have Mm -hmm. to be scared that you're actually going to be killed. So knowing what I do know about the film, like having seen it all happen, Mm -hmm. if I knew all of that, I would not charge her with anything. Okay. Okay cool yeah but i i mean if this was just if this was just a police report about this Mm -hmm. dead body and this woman who may or may not have confessed to killing this guy but her fingerprints are on the blade Mm -hmm. it might be a murder too or a manslaughter voluntary manslaughter okay cool yeah depending on what details we knew Mm -hmm. yeah what did you think of the ending I really like the ending all but the part where the camera zooms in on Sarah's face and it's all distorted. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I but I liked I liked Jess running out of the forest and everybody being like Sarah, Sarah and then it was Jess. I liked mm-hmm. that. And then I liked Mishi standing there and I liked Mishi seeing 
Sarah in the distance as like a Yuri. Yeah. I liked all of that. But then it was cheapened by the zoom in and like her like distorted, (laughs) creepy face. Yeah. Yeah. I I totally agree. I just thought it's all culminating and and the realization when, um, you know, she she thinks she's cutting away at her father's fingers. And now when I rewatch it, it's so obvious. But I remember the first time watching it not putting the dots together and then when you finally are connecting everything as Hashiko is looking at at Sarah and kind of looking down at her arm and and it all clicks all at the same time and it moves so fast but there's nothing you can do and then boom it's Jess who's coming out of the forest yeah I was into it I got a good rush for multiple reasons <laughs> and that's I'm glad that you brought up the thing where she's like trying to saw at her dad's hand and then it, it turns out that she's cutting herself yeah. Because that is something that whole the idea that you can't trust your own mind mm-hmm. and that you might be reacting to things that aren't real or that are facades or illusions mm-hmm. is probably the most horrifying thing I could imagine. I agree with you with every fiber of my being on that. That's why Freddy Krueger is one of the scariest monsters to me of all time because you can't not sleep and so if you can't tell at certain points when you're awake and when you're asleep there is nothing you can do and that's sort of what I feel like happens to Sarah's character in this is at a certain point she can't tell the difference and there's nothing she can do right and it's really easy to sit there and be like well I wouldn't I wouldn't cut myself like I wouldn't do this but yeah. if you say that, you're discounting the power that the forest had in this movie, mm-hmm. which was the power to distort reality and trick you into doing things. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So I also wanted to bring up this amazing epic fan theory that I found online that I wanted to talk about um, that sort of really... I. I know the directors weren't going for this. I kind of wish they had left it a bit more ambiguous because this probably would have given a lot of people an additional an additional Yuri in their out of five rating. <laughs> <laughs> so this is from Jarora2213. And basically the question is posed, are Sarah and Jess twins or is it dissociative identity disorder? more commonly known as split personality. Does Jess exist? And she... Uh, okay, go on. No, 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 you're okay. <laughs> so the concept here, I just, I just, I like the, I like the idea of it was there is no twin sister, there is no Jess. So due to the traumatic experience in the childhood of Sarah, she dissociated her personality into two people. Herself as Sarah and Jess, so she wouldn't have to deal with the fact that she saw both her parents dead. Now, again, this isn't the actual intent of the movie, so you can find things that counteract this, but this individual put forth about five critical pieces of evidence that I just, I really liked the unique take on that. So the first one is early on in the movie, there's a scene where Sarah is going down a set of stairs to a basement, and in the basement she sees a yellow tent. And from the outside, we see two distinct shadows sitting inside it. But when she opens the tent, there's only one girl inside. Okay, that's interesting. mm -hmm. 
Number two, when Sarah tells her husband Rob that she needs to go to Japan, he has a very concerned look on his face. Rob was a very interesting character because you didn't get a ton from him. But in this short scene, he has a very subdued reaction, almost as if he knows that Sarah is mentally ill and thus just tries to calm her down in order to make her not go without trying to reason with her. Yeah, that's. Ooh. Okay. Sorry. I won't react to every single one that you do. No, there's only only three more. There's only three more. So the other is when Sarah is staying the night in the forest with Aiden, she runs out at night and that's where she runs into Hashiko who tells her not to trust him, meaning Aiden. Later when she asks him for a cell phone to see if he had a picture of Jess on it, she yells at him that there are pictures of her sister in the phone. Aiden has always denied that he ever met her sister and just looks at her clueless as if he has no idea what's going on, which on the one hand could just be the picture's not there. That's part of the forest tricking Sarah. Or what if the picture she sees is one he took of Sarah at the bar when in the hotel where they're having their drink and she thinks Jess is another person. Like she doesn't recognize her own Mm -hmm. photo. Mm Mm-hmm. Then when she's at the cabin with Aiden, Sarah believes that Jess is locked behind a door and Jess slides a note from under the door asking if Aiden is there. And Sarah answers yes. And it says, if you look closely, the handwriting on both sides of the conversation is actually the same. And when Sarah goes and grabs the knife and goes to Aiden and screams, you know, open the closet, let Jess out. They struggle. He dies. The door opens again when she goes down and experiences that traumatic basement scene from her childhood. There is no Jess. There's only one child again. Despite the fact that you had that voice on the other side going, please be real. Yes. That that fucked with me when I was like trying to figure out what was real and what was happening. I'm like, okay, so the other voice said, please be real. So obviously Jess is real and she's there. Yeah, that was, oh, that gave me chills. And then the fifth one is after she runs away from her cabin, or excuse me, from the cabin, her sister also is managing to run in the same direction. The way the scene is recorded, we also get a lot of parallels going on. Um, Just as when the movie started, how we started following Jess, now we're ending presumably following Jess. When Jess emerges, Rob is there and he looks at her and questions Sarah. And supposedly it's dark. We'll give, we'll give him that. But they have two very distinct looks. So you think he would be able to immediately tell them apart. One's got blonde hair. One has dark brown, blackish hair. Right. That was something that bothered me at the end when he, because he says Sarah multiple times when she's out there. Like he has a hold of her and he's going, Sarah, Sarah. And it's like, do yeah. you not see that she's got, like, black hair? Yeah. And, like, all the all the jewelry and makeup and everything. And it's not until he questions and he goes, Jess, that she responds to him. And so he then proceeds to, like, walk her out of the forest. So I think it's when he realizes, oh, this is Jess I'm talking to. Okay. And, and... And I don't think a husband would have ever left the forest without Sarah. How could he do that? So Mm -hmm. 
Then, to wrap it all up, it's the reason why Jess is the only one that comes out of the forest was because Sarah faced her reality back at the cabin, accepted that she was the one that saw her parents lying dead on the floor. Thus, the two different personalities come together into one single person, and Sarah is forever lost in the forest that was supposedly one that makes people face their sadness and find themselves. So that's why Jess says, I can't hear it inside me anymore. The noise where Sarah was, it's gone. Ta-da! Okay, that theory is now my theory. Isn't it amazing? I, I dig it. It amped up the movie for me with that concept. I, uh. I, actually, I honestly think the most compelling piece of evidence is the fiance's reaction at the end when he's holding her and he's just keeps saying Sarah over and over again. Cause that was something I found really annoying when I was watching the movie. I'm like, that's clearly not Sarah. You nincompoop. Like what? Mm-hmm. Cause I, I have a lot of twins in my life. My boyfriend's a twin. I've got twin sisters. Like I, you, you don't confuse twins. Like you can tell them apart. Yeah. If you're oh, close that... to those people. Yeah. That was something I actually meant to ask you. And I apologize that I, I didn't talk about before we, we jumped in towards the ending of oh, it because whatever. you do have twins in your family. Like what do you understand that twin connection, that, that, that twinship that's going on? Have you, do, do any of your siblings experience that? No. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, sorry. I'm sorry. And I yeah, even yeah. like, so I even tried to do a little research on that and I just ran out of time because I thought I might talk about twin telepathy in the real history and lore section mm-hmm. and i just didn't i just didn't really get to it but oh no it's fine i don't think I just, this is the last film that's gonna have that concept for us to address that's true <laughs> that's a good point my sisters used to swear that they had the twin telepathy i feel like when they were kids or teenagers i i don't think they have it now and they're not even close now and mm-hmm. josh and his brother definitely don't have it Mm. so i don't know um okay i'll ask i also have my friend my friend neo is a yeah um i'll ask her i'll ask her if she and keo yeah their names are neo and keo i'll ask (laughs) her if they have twin telepathy because they're much they're better twins than the other twins i know yeah no also i can always tell them apart i'm not related to them and i'm not dating them and i can tell them apart (laughs) and you weren't married to one for presumably several years exactly (laughs) so just going back to how how did he think that was his wife for even more than five seconds yeah yeah whatever okay are you ready for some film facts i am so ready okay all right, again, these are not going to be crazy long because when you get to newer movies, there usually isn't as much fun or, or, you know, lore behind the film itself. So to start off, the film location. It wasn't actually filmed in the Okigahara Forest because filming in the forest is not permitted by the Japanese government. So the filmmakers chose a forest near the Tara Mountain in Serbia, which is to double as the Japanese forest where a majority of the film takes place. But then due to poor weather, many of the scenes, especially ones indoors, ended up being shot in a former warehouse. Oh. 
Then there are some fun facts about when the actors and the director went to visit the real forest. Natalie Dormer tells a story about how when she went to venture inside the suicide forest to experience it for herself with her Japanese guide, she elected to venture about five meters off the path to take a photo and her Japanese guide wouldn't even step half an inch over the path. Which I thought was really, really cool and chilling. fascinating. And then Taylor Kinney, who plays Aiden, said that while filming, it was true, just like in the film, that cell phones and compasses don't work because the soil really is so rich with magnetic iron. Yep. And then Jason Zeta, the director, recalled a story where he and his guide, as they were preparing to leave the forest at sunset, kind of just like what happens to our characters in the movie... Um, his guide had them each take turns rubbing salt on each other's backs so that no Yuri could cling to you and the salt gets rid of them. Ooh. I don't like that. (laughs) You just like picture, you know, something. So what's on me? What's on me? Get it off. (laughs) And then director Jason Zeta said they also made the decision for the forest to not be evil or the bad guy In his mind, what the film is showing you is that this forest has the ability to show you the kind of sadness that's inside you and to enhance that and manipulate you. I feel like that concept is really creative and kind of beautiful, but I don't think he was able to execute that very well. He's still, like we talked about, elected for the jump scares. Right. That's what I was going to say. If that was actually his goal, he should have done far fewer jump scares. Yes. And the the cover of the film, the poster, cover of your DVD, cover on your on your Netflix screen, shows Natalie Dormer's face, but the bottom half is removed, and the dividing line kind of forms a silhouette of treetops and a dangling noose, and this bears a clear resemblance to an infamous image of a body of an actual victim of the forest. Um, of a man who had been found in such a decomposed state that his jaw had fallen off and strips of flesh were hanging from where it had been. So they were really going with that iconic imagery of what, if you were to Google it, just like Sarah's character does in the beginning, that's kind of what you would find. Oh, that was a real person, though? I don't like that. Yeah, I did not want to look that up to verify. So if you have the stomach for it, listeners, go right ahead. Let me know if I'm wrong (laughs) but uh i i didn't want to look it up and then the last concept is the last fact is the other inspiration like because this this concept of the suicide forest is just so rich there have been two other films but i've never heard of them um one is called sean the number four ever 2012 and then one entitled the sea of trees in 2015 that's that the matthew mcconaughey one i am not sure i didn't okay. i would trust I think you that if... one's real fucking weepy mm, and there you go and then one thing that i thought was interesting um that that appeared in a couple different places was according to this spanish comic or graphic novel author el torres The plot and title and look of the film are very similar to ones of El Bosque de los Suicidas, 
The Suicide Forest, a Spanish comic book by Torres and Gabriel Hernandez that was published in 2011. The summary that I found from Amazon reads, The legend of the Okigahara Forest, which lies just outside of Tokyo, says that those who have committed suicide in the massive wilderness are cursed to have their souls trapped within its very roots. Unfortunately for Alan, his girlfriend Masami committed her suicide there, and she's now on a vengeful mission to ruin his life. So, I don't know if it's exactly the same, but, but you know, it came up in a couple of different places. Um, there's also a story I'm familiar with that features the Japanese suicide forest. Um, there's a series called Anna Dressed in Blood. It's a young adult horror series by Kendar mm-hmm. Blake. Mm-hmm. And I might be mispronouncing her first name. The sequel to Anna Dressed in Blood is Girl of Nightmares. And there's a whole segment of that book that takes place in the suicide forest. Um, that, oh. that book series features a teenage boy who, like, gets rid of ghosts. And that's, like, a thing that he does. So, yeah. Dang. Yeah. Nope, that one's on my list. That's one of my 15 books that is on my Julie shelf of recommendations you've made to me. Oh, Anna Dressed in Blood? Mm-hmm. It's by the author who wrote Anti-Goddess and um, One Dark One Throne. One Dark Throne. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. I can see it right from where I'm sitting. <laughs> yeah. It's good stuff. Yeah. Okay. So now I am dying to know more about the lore and the real life connections behind. Honestly, Apple. you might be disappointed in a lot of it because they, they got s- most of the lore that they touched on the movie uh-huh. is the actual lore. Oh, shit. So they did a good job actually touching on the real horror stories or ghost stories of the forest. Um, Before I jump into the actual forest, I do want to say when I when I started to kind of skim twin telepathy, I found Mm -hmm. out that about one out of every 30 babies born in the U.S. is a twin, which blew my fucking mind. Oh, now I wonder if that takes into account all of the amazing uh, advances we have made in medical in medical fertility treatments. Maybe. This is from Live Science, so I believe it. Dang. Yeah. Okay. So we yeah. should just keep our eyes out for future twins at hotels saying, come play with us, Julie. Come Ooh, play with us I forever. Forgot. Oh, we did two Ooh. twin stories in a row. We sorta. did! <laughs> <laughs> okay, Gahara is a real place. Spoiler alert. <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, about about 100 people commit suicide there every year. That's a rough estimate. In 2003, a record number of 105 suicide victims were discovered there. But Japanese authorities have discontinued publishing exact suicide numbers in order to avoid making the place even more popular, which mm. fair. And I've also heard that the forest is so big and so dense that there could be a lot of corpses that just nobody's found yet. Right. So that's entirely possible. I've, I heard a lot of stories about people going for hikes in the forest and things and just encountering dead bodies. And with the, how common those stories are, it seems like there might be more than a hundred people committing suicide there a year, but that's, that's the average is a hundred suicides there a year. Mm Mm-hmm. It still doesn't make it the most popular suicide spot in the world. Like, way more people commit suicide on the Golden Gate Bridge. Nobody calls the Golden Gate Bridge the suicide bridge. So, I don't know. Clearly they should. Mm. <laughs> so, something I kept seeing in all my research, and I'll, and I'll cite to all my sources in the show notes. 
something I kept seeing in all my research was people saying like, oh, the forest is so big and so dense that you'll go in and you won't encounter anybody, encounter anybody else, but you might, you know, see dead bodies of other suicide victims. But the forest isn't that big. Oh. Yeah, it's 30 square kilometers, which already didn't sound big to me, but I don't, we don't use the metric system, so I'm like, maybe I'm wrong. But I looked it up, and that's a little over 18 miles. So it's 18 oh. square miles. That's still, I mean, you can hike 18 miles in a day. Like, a yeah. healthy person can go into that forest and get from one end of the forest to the other in one day. And if your life fucking depended on it, you'd hustle. Yep. Right. If I can walk over 10 miles a day at Disneyland, yes. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And just to, like, put this in perspective how actually small this forest is. Like, it's probably large by Japanese standards because it's a small country. But Mm -hmm. this forest is kind of tiny. Um, The Tongass Forest, which is in Alaska, is 26,000 square miles. Wow. You guys are hiding a lot of bodies up there. Oh, my God. So many bodies. Alaska's just hiding a lot of bodies in general. Like, we have so many serial killers. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> the Amazon rainforest is 2 million square miles. Wow. And just, like, I realize that those are going to be on the opposite end of the spectrum, where it's like, those forests are crazy big. Mm-hmm. When another forest that a lot of Americans go to is the Redwood Forest in Northern yep. California. It's 172 square miles. Oh, my God. So just I just want to put in perspective just because that's something I kept seeing was this forest is so big and dense. I'm like, it's it is pretty dense from the pictures Mm -hmm. I saw, but it's not that big. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I understand that one of the things that actually contributes to the isolated feeling of the forest is that because it is so dense, it's like almost silent. So you go in there and your breathing sounds like a roar in your ears. I heard that from multiple sources. Oh. Mm-hmm. Oh, I could have done so much more with sound in this movie. Right? Mm. Sound is so underutilized in horror movies. We talk about this all the time. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Horror movies are constantly forgetting how important sound is. Agreed. Yeah. Um, throughout the forest, there are signs posted that say things like, your life is precious and think of your family. In order to dissuade people from completing suicide or attempting suicide. Wow. Forest workers carry the bodies from the forest to the local police station where they are put in a special room used specifically to house suicide corpses. So we saw that in the movie. Mm-hmm. Some believe that if a corpse is left alone, it is very bad luck for the Yuri of the suicide victim. Their spirit is said to scream through the night and their bodies will move on their own. Oh my gosh, just like I said in the film. Yeah, they did. The, I could totally have that job, by the way. It's oh, like my no. My dream job is just sitting outside of like the dead body room and reading a book. Mm-mm, mm-mm, nope. I could do that. I'm the hotel concierge. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the person giving you the map to the suicide forest, but that's it. <laughs> I read a CNN article by Michael Needleman. And he said that the suicide forest is so popular is because people don't want to die alone. And they feel like when they go to this forest where other people commit suicide, they're kind of doing it together. Oh. Isn't that heartbreaking? That is. But to just kind of bring it back around. Mm Mm-hmm. What those hoping to take their lives may not be considering is what's going to happen to their bodies between 
them taking their life in this beautiful location and they're surrounded by other people not surrounded by other people but they feel Mm -hmm. like they're with other people which is the opposite of what i heard from other sources which is that the forest makes you feel isolated but sure let's go with this that they feel like they're a part of something bigger than them and they don't Mm -hmm. feel alone and that's so they feel safe committing suicide they're not taking into account the fact that like their body could sit there for a really long time before it's found a local police officer said, I've seen plenty of bodies that have been really badly decomposed or have been picked at, picked at by wild animals. There's nothing beautiful about dying in there. Oh. Yeah. Dang. And like you said, the magnetic iron in the soil causes compasses to not work. It makes GPS um, not work and it messes with your cell phone service. Which I did appreciate because in most horror movies it's like, oh no, I don't have signal. And you're like, really? Original. In this one, it was true. You would not have signal. (laughs) Absolutely. You don't have signal in there. Yep. Yep. So people, um, in order to avoid getting lost, which I'm also like, it's an 18 mile wide forest, whatever. Anyway. (laughs) Pick a direction. (laughs) Yeah. And it has a clear path. But in order to not get lost, people use tape or string to find their way back. This is one of the creepiest things I found when I was researching this, is that Mm. hikers have stories about their tape or string being deliberately cut. (gasps) Oh, no. Yeah, so I'm like, who who the fuck is cutting your shit? Oh, that would have been a really good scene with Sarah if, like, her twine connected back or... You know, she she tried to go back because she heard Jess or something, and then her twine, like falls limp in her hands and yeah like it had been deliberately cut that's horrifying oh my gosh well if that's not yuri then that is some badass karma gonna hit that person over the head oh the person who cut the twine or who would cut the twine or tape or whatever oh god yeah the suicide forest got kind of famous again so this movie came out in 2016 Uh in 2017 this famous youtuber named logan paul Went to the forest with his friends. Fuck that guy. Yeah, you heard about this? Oh, fuck yeah. Yeah, I almost was going to talk about this, and then it got me so mad, I did not. So now I'm just going (laughs) to rail while you talk. Well, I'm not going to tell that much about it. Just touch on it really quickly. He apparently went into the forest with all his buddies. They recorded um, a dead body, and they were, like, laughing at this dead body. They did call the police when they found the dead body, but they're laughing at the dead body and, like, filming it. Yeah, so no, that was that was disgusting. I think I think yeah, he they're... lost a lot of sponsors. Was maybe even blocked temporarily off YouTube. I don't know. Again, just ignorance at its finest. Oh yeah, it's like, oh my god, talk about not seeing a person. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, don't worry. That person's probably clinging to his back unless he used salt and good. I hope they're, I hope they're I keeping hope him awake at night. As fuck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so the, the Yuri thing is a real local lore. Mm-hmm. And people say that the forest is, like, cursed or haunted now because of the practice of ubasute, which I could be butchering. Um, that's They talk about that in the movie where they would take elderly and firm relatives to die of starvation or exposure. Oh, yeah. Here's the thing about that. They present that in the movie like it's a fact. Oh, this happened in the forest. I found different reports. That's an e- legend, like an urban legend. Mm. So that could not even be true. Okay. 
that could not even be a thing that happened. So I just wanted to bring that up that that is a local lore with the forest, but we don't know that that ever actually happened. But I do, I do want to end on a creepy story note. Oh yes, I'm all in. (laughs) There's a Vice documentary that takes a tour of the forest. And while they're there, they found a curse. Yeah, uh, they found a doll that was described as looking like Jack Skellington from The Mm -hmm. Nightmare Before Christmas. And this Mm -hmm. doll was nailed upside down Mm -mm. on a tree. And the documentary's guide, whose name is Azusa Heyano, said, They nailed this character upside down as a symbol of contempt for society. No, it's more like a curse. The curse is nailed in. So I guess it's not uncommon for people who complete suicide mm-hmm. in the forest to leave curses on the world that they're leaving behind. Whoa. That just gave me goosebumps. Ooh, yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there was a Buddhist monk that went to the forest. His name was Kiyomue Tsuke. Mm-hmm. And he was going there to set up an altar. And he told the New Zealand Herald... The spirits are calling people here to kill themselves. The spirits are the people who have committed suicide before. Oh. So that touches on the lore of the movie again, that if you have Gosh, sadness in just... your heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just haunting. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't want to discount um, how sad it is that people hurt themselves in this forest because that's terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, no, but that's that's a really important element to horror, you know, is there is something intriguing. There's a lot of people out there who, sh- you know, who share common interests and in serial killers and the macabre and everything in it. Okay, so if you had to enact a law from this film, The Forest, what would your law be? You can't always trust your eyes. Ooh, that is good. That is good. Yeah. What would yours be? I initially had mine as don't leave the path because that seemed to apply to the film. But as I've thought about it, I realized no, because that is not going to be a law that I'm going to want people to follow later on in other (laughs) other horror movies. (laughs) Good point. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to tell you to run the fuck away off the path. Get off Um, that goddamn path. (laughs) Yeah. So I think mine is going to be Always leave a note. I think that's good. Who do you leave the note with? Well, in regard to this film, it's going to be when Sarah is electing to stay in the tent instead of leave a note for Jess. She could have just left a note. And then same when she and Aiden decide that they're not going to wait for Michi to come. They're going to go and traverse the forest themselves. They could have left a goddamn note. And I just think it would have gone a long way. So <laughs> that's okay. That's fair. It's my beer. It's not your beer, Rex. He's <laughs> like, you don't know. Maybe I like beer. He loves beer. Oh, is a good man? Yeah, it's a it's a fucking problem. Like we have to watch him. He really likes Josh's beer. He doesn't like my beer so much because I drink a lot of sours, so I'll drink wheat beers. And mm. he's like, well, I'll drink them if that's the only option I have. But it's not my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> but Josh likes a lot of dark lagers. And Rex oh is here for this. He's <laughs> fucking down. <laughs> See, Lacey is classy as fuck, and she only likes the vodka cranberries. Oh, Lacey would be a vodka cranberry <laughs> bitch. I get that vibe from Lacey. Yeah. 
Yeah. She's sleep- she's sleeping at my feet right now. <laughs> uh, I don't want to jinx myself, but have you noticed that my dogs have not barked one time? Hell yeah, they're being so good. They're so good. They're just like, this is our life now. Our mom has lost her mind and is talking to nobody. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they already saw that. <laughs> They already already fucking knew this. Do you know how many times I've been on a walk with them? I've been like singing to them or I've been, (laughs) you know, chatting with them. And then suddenly there's somebody else on the path and I just go completely silent and like won't make eye contact with the other person. I'm like, I know you heard me singing sleepwalking, but it was, I was going, I'm dog walking. (laughs) I know you fucking heard me and I appreciate you not acknowledging it, but also I'm not going to make eye contact with you. (laughs) Yeah. All right, so Julie, do you want to play a game? Fucking always. Yes. Greetings and welcome. I want to play a game. Okay, so instead of starting off with would you rather, I have a couple just would yous. (laughs) It's this new game I've created, just would you. Would you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm into it. All right. So when Sarah first arrives at the ranger station and she's escorted to the basement to possibly ID her sister, she's left alone. Would you have looked under the sheet? Yeah, I I feel quite confident I would have. Mm, the curiosity, good. like that's your loved one or that could be your loved one and you don't know if that person is alive or dead. No, mm. the curiosity would have would have definitely gotten to me. Would you have looked under it? I think so. I think knowing the distance between where the woman had to go up the stairs, I don't think I would have done it if she had just stepped out in the hallway. Um, I have a thing about if you're about to get caught, like I need to know I have a set amount of time in which I <laughs> you can. You need to know you're going to get away with it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and then would you travel to another country and investigate yourself I guess in this situation, it could be your sister. It could be me. It could I would be go a for close... you. I wouldn't go for my uh, sister. Okay. And like, w- or would you leave it up to the local police? I think I would give the local police a chance. But it mm. sounds like what happened in this movie was that the local police, and I don't believe they would have actually responded this way, but the movie presents it as though the local police were just like, well, she went to the suicide forest, so sorry, she's dead. Mm. If that were you, I definitely would have gone and checked it out since it, they clearly couldn't rely on the police to handle it in this scenario. I would have given the police, though, a hot minute to attempt it. And then if it seemed like they weren't doing it, I would have I would have gotten involved. Would you have gotten involved? Yeah, I think I would have the same answer. Say, again, if I'm picturing you um, or my sister, I think I would have flown out there immediately. But I would not have taken it upon myself to do any type of investigation. I just don't feel like I'm qualified or would be able to do anything. I still, however naive it might be, still believe in the system and, and the authority of officers and the comp- the competence of, of police. But I also would not pull a rob and find one person and say, it's cool, I'll come back and find Julie tomorrow. I would not leave until we yeah. found you. <laughs> In this scenario, you're not you're not leading an investigation. There's not like a murder with a whole bunch of evidence that you have to wade through. You're just going to a forest and hiking through a forest hoping you find somebody. Yeah. Which I also thought was interesting. Did you notice that the first day she showed up to the forest, she was wearing ballet flats? Yes. Did that annoy I... you as much as it annoyed me? <laughs> I was I was grateful she wasn't in heels. <laughs> oh, um... <good> point. <laughs> so 
I couldn't quite tell if I was going to call it a win. Um, <laughs> I was, I was blown away that she packed for an international trip with just a small carry on mm-hmm. and yeah, girls got some mad packing skills. And also on that note, there is no way in hell that I have day old camping hair that looks as good as Sarah's. <laughs> and even Jess, who's been lost for what, a week at this point? No, Jess was looking rough. Come on, Jess was looking a little rough. But she didn't have, like, greasy hair. It's like my clock strikes 12 hours, and it's like, boom, time for greasy hair. (laughs) And she still had eyeliner on and everything. Damn. Yeah, well, that's a good point. The eyeliner, but her eyeliner was looking like shit. Her hair was a little raggedy. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) As much as Natalie Dormer can look disheveled, please. Right. (laughs) That's a good point. Okay, so now you are, you're Sarah, you're with Aiden, and you stumble upon Jess's tent. But Michi's telling you, hey, it's getting dark. We gotta head back. It's not safe. Yes, I would stay the night. Oh, shit. I know what you're gonna ask me. I would 100% stay the night. I would not feel safer that Aiden was staying the night with me. No, thank you, (laughs) strange man I just met. Creepy dude at the bar who clearly saw I have a wedding band on and hit on me anyway (laughs) no thank you (laughs) i appreciate the offer of your services but i would like to respectfully decline (laughs) i don't know if i would stay at the tent does that make me a bad friend if it was me would you stay at the tent you can answer honestly i'm not gonna be mad i I want to say I would, but I have a feeling that if I was Sarah, also mixed with a little bit of myself, I would feel discouraged and I would just think like, okay, time to call it and and leave a fucking note and I'll be back in the morning. That's fair. Oh, I don't know. Don't ever put me in this situation. I know. Well, it's one of those things where you're also in a kind of weird situation that you think you're going to go hike this wooded area and this wooded area (laughs) you think you're gonna go hike this forest (laughs) and you're just gonna find the person i mean i know i was just saying that 18 square uh, square miles is not that big Mm -hmm. but it's a pretty big area of land if you're just wandering around looking for one person okay now my last question you are now sarah in the ranger cabin with aiden you haven't heard Jess behind the door, anything like that, but but you do. You're suspicious of him. He's been acting kind of creepy. Uh, he asks for the knife to open the radio's panel. Would you give it to him? You know, I'm going to contradict myself here because I was just saying I wouldn't want him to stay the night with me, but mm-hmm. I would probably hand him the knife. And this is just I... all going back to the fact that I'm going to get murdered. I probably <laughs> would hand him the knife because I really, I really feel like he had not actually given her any reason to be afraid of him. Mm-hmm. You know, it was all the ghosts or the Yuri fucking with her head and the forest fucking with her. And I, you know, we don't know for sure if he was a good guy or a bad guy the whole movie. But he didn't actually do anything to seem untrustworthy. And he gave her the knife in the first place. And then he's like, mm-hmm. hey, I need to open this radio panel. Yeah. And I have the knife back. I think I'm, I think I would give it to him. Yeah, I think I would too, but for a different reason. And it's just knowing, I guess, 
arguably I'm saying it's me, but I'm also Sarah, but I'm a big people pleaser and I don't like to rock the boat. So if he would have asked for it, that's why I'm also, if I'm not hiding, if I'm not able to hide and survive the movie, then I'm definitely going to die in the very beginning by doing something really stupid, like not wanting to be impolite or rude. Uh, And so I think that's what I would do in that situation. It would be rude to not give it to him and have to deal with conflict. So... Well, and he was already a little antagonized and he was like, Sarah, just give me the goddamn knife and annoyed. And if I was him, I would be annoyed too. Like you're trying to help this bitch and she's freaking out and running through the forest and then falls in a pit and you have to save her from the pit. Like I. Yeah. I just kind of. This is an example where hot girls can get away with a lot. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, I actually think Sarah was a really good character. I think she was mm-hmm. really smart and really cool. So I'm not, I'm not bragging on the character. No, I'm this is totally saying... Aiden trying to get some tail. This has That's nothing to do true. with Sarah. If if Sarah was ugly, would he still be trying to save her so hard? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Or would he suddenly be like, you know, I've got this this editor deadline. I really gotta uh, get back. You know, my Michi's Uber's my here. I don't know. <laughs> my Uber here. <laughs> I finally am so excited we get to play this game because we actually have a decent movie with three male characters. Oh however, my God. large of a role they play. I'm so excited. I know what you're so- going to say. You're so stupid. <laughs> Drum roll. It's time for Fuck, Mary Kill. <laughs> Sound effects to come. <laughs> so, Julie, you have to choose between Michi Rob and Aiden. Who would you fuck, marry, and kill? Okay, I'm gonna kill Rob because he's so fucking useless. Mm-hmm. He can't even identify his fiance when she runs out of the woods or his wife, whatever she was to him. He can't tell the difference between her and her twin, and that's problematic. Mm-hmm. I'm going to marry Michi because he was the smartest, most useful man in the whole movie. Mm-hmm. And I guess I'll fuck Aiden. Love him and leave him. Yep. Same answer. Same answer for me. This is why we're best friends. Like all three is the same answer for you? Yeah. Rob, I was like, you're kind of a limp noodle. And exactly. You didn't fucking recognize your own sister-in-law. Aiden, I thought he was, what do we call it? A scoop of melted strawberry ice cream. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, Aaron. What is that from? Um, American Horror Story, Jessica Lang. Oh, that's, oh, she can make anything sound so amazing. I know. So, I'm well, sorry, what about your, your aunt in law that's like, he's a biscuit. I just want to butter him up. Oh, my God. Yes. Aunt Debbie is fantastic. He's just a buttered <laughs> little biscuit. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah. And then Michi just had that sweet, tender, tender, soft soul that, that I feel I could grow old with. <laughs> you had really romantic feelings about Michi. I was like, he's the most useful. <laughs> but see, I love that we come to the same answers, but they're just in different ways. <laughs> I like my men to be useful. <laughs> okay, I have a couple would you rathers for you. Oh, and you didn't give me any heads up. All right, let's do no, this. No, I don't give you heads up on the <laughs> would you rathers. I don't want to. <laughs> I'm not responsible for what comes out of my mouth. All right, let's do this. This is literally my favorite game. <laughs> I do this just when I'm out at the bar with people. I'm just like, if you had to lose any of your five senses, which would you lose? And they're like, what the, what fuck? the fuck? I don't even know you. You just walked up to me at the bar. Leave me alone. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not 
not drunk enough for this. I'm not drunk enough for this shit. You're not hot enough for this. Like, yeah. I don't know what to do. I'm not taking you into the forest. <laughs> You're not Nally Dormer. What's happening? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Would you rather spend one night in the suicide forest or one month in the Amityville house? Oh, God. Mm. I hate camping. (laughs) I love love that that's where this started. I am too fucking old for the discomfort at this point. Okay. And the suicide forest, you can have an air mattress. All right. I'll give you that. Okay. So am I by myself? No, Aiden's there. Okay. Aiden is there. So he, strange okay. man that you barely know. But he can pitch my tent. <laughs> <laughs> this is so logical. And also, also I, kn- I know what you just did. Shame on you. <laughs> Inappropriate. Shame on you. Okay. I think, okay, I am going to not sleep a goddamn wink. I am going to be so fucking petrified the entire night. But I will take the forest over Amityville House because of the time duration. One day okay. versus 30 days. That's that's really fair. Because, like, right now we're sort of, in Colorado at least, talking about being under quarantine. And I'm, like, going a little stir crazy. I don't think I could be stuck in a haunted house for 30 days if I can't even be stuck in my own house for seven. Mayor Berkowitz um, just declared that all restaurants and bars have to close to the public. Ours so, just did the same thing today. Yeah, so you can get takeout. Mm-hmm. But you can't go and like sit down. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's only it's only like takeout or delivery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. ours ours was just announced today by Governor Polis and it goes into effect tomorrow morning. Ours went into effect at five o'clock, so ours is already in effect. Wow. And then did you hear about San Francisco? Oh, that people are under like house arrest or pseudo house arrest? I did yep. hear about that. For three fucking weeks. We had a conversation with that at my work today about whether that's actually legal to do that. Second question. Well, I didn't get to answer this one. Oh, what's your answer? I'm so sorry. I... That was so rude. <laughs> you I are exist so in the vacuum. rude. Shame on you. <laughs> you deserve to spend a night in the suicide. <laughs> You're going to have to come find me. I'm going to go missing. <laughs> <laughs> I think I would actually pick the Amityville house. I feel okay, like the why? hauntings in there were less scary. What? Yeah, like the shit that they encountered in the Amityville house did not creep me out the way that wandering through the forest and having the ghost be like, turn around, Sarah. Turn around. No, yeah. thank you. No, thank then you. Now you have your like puppy scratching at weird shit. Not getting hurt. Not going to allow that in the scenario. But like... Rex and Harley are, are barking at this one spot in the wall all the they time. They do that anyway. And, oh. So you basically... Marshall the mouse is still in my apartment, despite the fact the exterminator has come out twice now. Oh, I still have a mouse. Is... My dogs are still chasing it all over. It's like I live in a haunted house. It is a determined motherfucker. He has been there for a while. He's smarter than me. I have acknowledged that he is my master and I am the servant. <laughs> and now I just leave food on the floor for him. Oh, I like that. I don't really. I don't really. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably very hygienic of you. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, I would love to go for a hike in the suicide forest. Mm-hmm. The idea of spending the night there freaks me out. Yeah. Ooh. No, it's Ooh. a, yep. Yep, yep. Would you rather be lost in Okegahara with Yuri or with a serial killer hunting you? Oh, no. Oh, I have so many qualifications for this. On the one hand, I do not. I'm totally setting myself up for something real bad down the road. I don't believe in ghosts. So, (laughs) (laughs) famous last motherfucking words. You have jinxed yourself so fucking bad. It's so bad. Um, But, like, serial killers are the one thing that, like, that, those really do, like, slasher movies and stuff really scare me because they can actually kill you and catch you. The question is, how confident am I in my strategy to stay hidden and and outsmart? Okay, wait. Say, say the question to me one more time. So you're in Okegahara. So you don't get to pick which forest you're in. Uh-huh. You're in Okegahara, uh-huh. and your choices are you can be being haunted by uh-huh. Yuri there or hunted by a serial killer. Keep in mind, where are you going to hide in the forest, Nettie? Are you a in good those... climber? Do you no, feel like I'm you gonna, climb a I'm going to fall down high? a hole. I'm going to fall down a hole. <laughs> I'm going to go into those ice caves or whatever that apparently exist down there. So as long as I can guarantee to get pulled out, I might. Oh, I'm I not might. promising you that you're going to get pulled out. How, who's going to find you? <laughs> uh, okay, I'm, you know what? I actually want to give a semi-deep answer. Okay, I think I'm going to go with the serial killer. And I'm probably going to lose very quickly because um, I have no survival skills and there's only so many places you can hide and I'll probably be that bitch who trips and rolls her ankle as I clearly did just like two weeks ago walking down the 16th street mall. <laughs> I was gonna say <laughs> I have known you to roll your ankle like walking up a driveway. So. Yep. <laughs> so I'm already I know I'm toast but I think, and this may be in the other movies that you said that are a bit more weepy and and poetic and drama or dramatic, I think I would be really afraid, I almost put this question in for us, about what my Yuri would look like and what my sadness would manifest as, and I don't think I have the balls to face that right now. Okay, number one, Mm -hmm. you need to have this conversation with your therapist because you need to face (laughs) your Yuris. Face your Yuris! Yep. <laughs> uh, I think I'd roll my dice and take the chance with the Yuris. Yeah? Yeah, just the Yuris can't hurt you. They only trick you into hurting yourself. At mm. least that's what the movie presented to us. Mm-hmm. Was that Sarah, the Yuris didn't actually ever hurt Sarah. Mm-hmm. Every time that she was injured, she did it to herself. That's a good point. It's just going to be a battle of my own mind. I'm just yeah, going to have to. Yeah, you have to have cake over my own mind and i don't know what my yuri would look like i got a i got a lot of shit in my in my past that i feel like you could probably keep replaying for me over and over again but also i make fun of my own shit so you can yeah. you can haunt me with it and i'll crack a joke yeah no i think that's a really good answer it was a really good question well, thank you guys so much for listening to us. I want to make sure you know that you can follow us on Instagram at Law and Horror Podcast. On Twitter at Law and Horror Pod. Make sure to check out our Facebook page, Law and Horror. We also have a website that is still a work in progress, lawandhorror.com. 
And we also have a Gmail account, lawandhorror at gmail.com, if you want to reach out to us directly. Leave us a voicemail at 909-666-0159. Particularly if you have ever been to Okagahara, mm-hmm. I want to fucking hear about it. Yes, or if you have an answer to some of these would yous or would you rathers. Oh, yes, yes. If you have an answer, especially one that's different than ours, or if we forgot something and we're kind of just blathering like idiots, <laughs> and you're like, <laughs> no, we have the right answer. You guys are both stupid. Or Please if you want us. to agree with one of us, and then we can keep score with about. Me. Only with me. No, Only with me. No, me, 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 me. <laughs> so always remember to never drop your weapon. And don't forget to double tap. Musical fade out.